the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm here with Christopher Palson, uh, Lloyd's List Intelligence's Head of Consultancy. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you and I have been um, having our, our annual chat because this is the time of year that we start looking to next year, 2020. We've got a few things on the horizon, not least a, a minor change in fuel policy I've heard about. Mm-hmm. But we're talking more in terms of trade outlook, uh, the general sort of macro feeling for the markets, what we've got in store. It's been an interesting year. I mean, slowing trade growth, yes, we've seen some revisions in numbers, and I think you're probably going to get on to that. Some fairly strong economic headwinds, I think, fair to say, from the US-China trade war. Near-term outlook for, for core energy and, 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 and bulk shipping markets remains broadly positive. Containers, less so, but they've always had a few problems. I'm just wondering, what do you think, generally speaking, 2020 um, has in store for us in terms of the trade uh, outlook, and, and and do you have any specific thoughts in terms of uh, opportunities and threats on the horizon? Well, uh, yeah, that is, of course, a key question. Uh, let us start with the, the, the overall economic development. Uh, I think it's a, uh, fair to say that uh, if we are to rely on the International Monetary Fund and that uh, just uh, currently released uh, new outlook where they revised on global growth to uh, three percent, which is the lowest in in uh, in ten years, i.e., since the uh, Great Recession, mm. and uh, uh, that only means that since uh, uh, the countries in the Far East grow faster, very much faster than the, uh, the countries in the in the, uh, so-called industrial world, uh, uh, the transition of power is going to be even faster in in this period. Mm. China and India account for about one fifth of the global uh, global economy today. Mm. And they are, even though they are also growing slower than before, they are still in strong growth. So, you know, that means that the global uh, economy is growing at a pace of around $300 million an hour. And uh, much of that takes place in the Far East still. Mm. The impact on shipping is, of course, immediate because these are great importers of, uh, of, of bulk commodities and exporters of containers commodities, but particularly China, of course. So, so there is some... Uh, uh, there are some uh, key implications from that that we need to look at, uh, and the trade war, of course, or trade tensions—I'd rather prefer to call it—is uh, are, are yeah, yeah. Well, they are, of course, uh, blocking some of that, and also causing some other. Usually, you know, when you squeeze things somewhere, uh, you increase it somewhere else. It's like a, a enclosed system, and mm. and. Uh, uh, we see trades, some trades actually taking other directions. Well, I think that's the thing that's often missed in the mainstream media, where we're looking at this as a sort of, uh, you know, zero-sum game. And it's not. Global no. trade is uh, is not not impacted by this. No. But there are, you know, equal and opposite reactions in terms of what this means. We've seen a significant shift um, in terms of the intra-Asia trade, shifting around, uh, getting around to the, the, the China uh, position into, into other Asia bases. Yeah. I was out in China last week and I was talking to a number of um, people about the conversations they're having around shifting production supply chains yeah. very, very rapidly as mm-hmm. it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, that is often missed in the, in the general conversation that you know, there are opportunities as well as the risk out of these things. And well, shipping is built off a great history of uh, you know, ship owners finding these, uh, these niche opportunities. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. And I mean, I mean, the fastest growing trade of them all, uh, almost regardless which kind of shipping you're looking at, is the intra-Asian one. Mm. 
and uh, we must not forget that. So uh, if they can, they, 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 uh, they trade with the neighbours, if, if you can call something that is as big as Asia, as neighbouring countries, but it's, uh, uh, it definitely has an impact on, on, uh, on shipping and new routes open up and others are in decline. Mm. Uh, and uh, not least to see some of the, be that from a low level, but still the, the new opportunities in uh, sourcing commodities from Africa. Mm. Yes, I mean, we've heard a lot about this over the last few years, near sourcing, reshoring. Yep. Um, the conversations I was having last week were around the immediate discussions of, of how do we mitigate risk, mm. less so around the longer term permanent supply chain shifts. Yeah. I think that's yet to come. And that will be interesting, I think, next year to see how sustained a feeling there is that there is going to be this uh, you know, feeling of protectionism, there is going to be this uh, you know, resurgence of nationalist uh, economics, and what that ultimately means in terms of the cascading down towards shipping and the trade lanes. It's always going to be volatile, but I think you, know, you don't shift entire production bases uh, unless you are fairly certain that there are going to be some mid-term changes in terms of no, the economics. No, absolutely. And uh, um, I mean, there, there are there are several steps uh, to look at here. But if we look, if we start with the bulk trade, which is mm. of course uh, completely dominating. I mean, uh, more, more than eighty percent of everything shipped at sea, at least in in, in metric tons, uh, mm. relates to bulk, liquid and dry bulk, and and that is very much relating to to, to energy. It's relating to uh, infrastructure investments uh, rather than. Uh, just maintenance, uh, and although that expansion still takes place to a large extent in Asia, not least propelled by the One Belt, One Road initiative, or Belt Ro uh, Brick Road initiative, mm. which requires a lot of energy, a lot of commodities and steel, not least, and, uh, uh, and that has an immediate impact on shipping. So when, uh, when we see closure of, of, of uh, mines, temporarily, as it seems, in one of the major exporting countries. And, of course, that has an immediate knock-on effect on the other trades. Mm. Um, this is how it's going to be. If you look at more on the industrial production, then, of course, there are a, a lot of discussions about you know, sourcing closer to, to consumption and, and uh, stepping away from mass production versus more flexible production as shorter series. With which, if that would be a large-scale shift, would uh, have immediate impact, on, first and foremost, on uh, containerized shipping. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, we only see that on very, very limited scale so far. Mm. So far, and uh, so in the in the short to uh, medium term, I I don't see that as a risk to to containerized shipping. No. I mean, on the containerized aspects. Particularly, I've seen you talk at many of our events, and you, you seem to be firmly of the opinion there is still room to grow containerized shipping. There's still yeah. products out there that can be containerized. Yes. That obviously has been slowing in yeah. terms of the oh, curve, yeah. but there's still some room for change there. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, uh, we, we must remember that some of the biggest commodities in containers today are forest products, chemicals, uh, apart from the ones that we uh, think of uh, to be in a, in, in a container. Mm. But uh, those very industries are also the one with still a lot of potential for further containerization, not least in the forest industry. Big volumes, massive volumes actually, and a fairly low degree of containerization of, the, of, of those commodities. And we see that increasing rather rapidly now. 
lack of investments into the vehicle sector uh, and uh, more and trade wars leading to more assembly of, of, of cars closer to consumer centers benefits containerized shipping mm. uh, not so much for uh, you know for, uh, fully built cars but uh, cars uh, partly or completely knocked down mm. the car issue is you know perhaps not going to be a major concern for 2020 but i think probably you and i are going to be talking about that more and more over the next few years as we see the supply chains of the yeah. uh, the ev market the electric vehicles market oh, yes. which currently are of course separate supply chains to mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the the internal combustion engine yeah, supply yeah, chain. So we're currently dealing with two separate production suppliers. Mm-hmm. That will change, I think. And I yeah. think we haven't quite factored the shipping forecast there in terms of the implications, not least in terms of the energy supply, but also in terms of the actual manufacturing mm-hmm. supply, because mm-hmm. they are far simpler. There's yeah. fewer moving parts, but production lines of lithium-ion batteries, very different to yeah. getting a, an internal combustion engine off oh, the ground. Yes. I mean, there are several layers to this, uh, not least the energy side of things. Mm. I mean, sourcing away from the uh, internal combustion engine to an electric uh, engine uh, means that you need more electricity, of course, uh, and that needs to be generated somehow. And uh, the majority of electricity generation today is from fossil fuels. Mm. So if we want to save the planet, then, of course, we need to have a bigger uh, approach to this. that is not stopping uh, the energy manufacturers from uh, from uh, moving towards electric vehicles. But mm. mind you, there are some 90 to 100 million new cars sold every year, and and uh, uh, around a million are, are electric. So so we're we're not changing the world yet, but the, uh, we are starting to. Mm. It certainly does feel that the discussion is accelerating day by day at the moment. Oh, uh, yes. You know, we've we've talked you know around the environmental uh, issues uh, on this podcast many times uh, over the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the bigger picture, 2020 is going to be not necessarily the decisive year in terms of uh, the specific fuel choices, but in terms of the R&D, the research and development that will determine the future of shipping, that is very much the focus for the next year. So it is going to be very interesting to see that pan out. I mean, taking it to a, a macro level, which is what you're looking at in terms yeah. of the next 10 to 15 years around supply and demand, what, what, what's your gut instincts in terms of the, the various scenarios? There's probably not a single scenario here, but what, 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 are, the, what are the varying options as far well, as you're well, We're working with uh, basically three, time, uh, three, three different scenarios, and they all take the starting point with the price for oil, mm. because that is very, very decisive to which the, the, the speed of direction of change, you know, Continued very very low oil prices will will make uh, oil very much more competitive and attractive and very more difficult to justify investments into other uh, uh, fuels for transportation and uh, and uh, other uses uh, of oil as well. Uh, whilst if if it were to be a hundred, hundred and fifty, or even two hundred dollars per barrel, then we are in a completely different situation. And suddenly money will be pouring into the alternatives and mm. speed up that transition. Yeah, probably cut down 10, 15 years of development if we were to have $200 per barrel. Not much speaking for that right now, I, mm. I realize, but uh, could very well happen. What strikes me is the um, the varying degrees of options on the table right now. Oh, yeah. we, you know, we, we, we've seen the discussions within the International Maritime Organization only uh, you know, fairly recently where slow steaming was back on the, uh, the, the, the mainstream media's ad- agenda and it's very much presented as a bit of a silver bullet, but whichever way you look at it, 
it is only the short-term measure. It's yeah. about uh, enhancing the efficiency of the existing tonnage and arguably, of course, it uh, could be responsible for keeping older, less, inef- less efficient tonnage on the water for longer if you went mm. down that route rather than investing in accelerated low to zero carbon emissions yeah. vessels. But you know, what ship owner is going to um, uh, handle and heart invest in technology that is uh, currently unproven and uh, the LNG argument comes with its own set of um, uh, complications, we say. There's no, there's no one-size-fits-all policy here. The question you as a consultant, I am guessing, are going to be asked more than any is, what do we do? What are the options? What does a, a right-minded ship owner or indeed a maritime services company do about the fact that we are, as an industry, basically paying for flexibility right now? What are the options that we've got? Well, basically, we are, we, we, since we cannot exchange the world fleet at a pace that is rapid enough in order to save the planet, we, we, we need to look at uh, retrofit solutions, uh, way of maybe uh, enhancing the performance of ships, uh, maybe conversions as well, uh, if if we are to look at it on a wider scale and scale it down to the fleet of any particular ship owner operator out there, the 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 balance of their fleet would probably look in in a similar fashion, you know. Mm. uh, Traditionally, you you need to have your older ships in order to finance the new ones and and, uh, keeping on to them and making them more more adapted and fit for for meeting future demands is of course uh, key to 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 making this happen mm. and uh, you can only turn to the industry to find solutions uh, for them to actually make that happen in in a financially justifiable way because of course uh, everyone would like to 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 say that we are we are saving the planet we are doing the best we can and uh, in all fairness i think most of them are trying very, very hard to do so, but they cannot do that on the, expen- uh, on the expense of the survival of its business, and, and so we need to find a solution everyone can live with, mm. and that is not one, that is a combination of many. I speak on a daily basis with uh, uh, the front-end uh, uh, researchers in, in, in these fields, and they're looking at combinations that are uh, offering uh, quite uh, attractive solutions that are very, very financially justifiable. So I think, yeah, we, we need to work with the fleet that we have rather than try to think that we're going to replace 80% of it in the next five years. It's not going to happen. Of course. And, it, you know, it's an unfair question of me to ask, but, uh, you know, you are the person that is looking beyond the next few years in terms of the, the shipbuilding outlook that Loise's Intelligence produces. You know, yeah. you are the, uh, the brains behind this, um, this database and, and, and the, the assumptions you are making in that data, yeah. it's not just a question of demand. It's not just a question of those big macro um, forces and economic headwinds that we've, we've talked about. It's about the existing fleet and supply. So give us a, you know, a few thoughts in terms of where we are now. Because, I mean, we've, we've seen much lower um, delivery of new buildings over yep. the last few years. We've mm-hmm. certainly seen far fewer new buildings contracted. Uh, I think I read in Marine Money uh, last uh, week, last month's edition, I mean, shipping and offshore took just $6.2 billion in capital market proceeds during the first three quarters of 2019. That's, mm. I mean, that's less than half of the uh, the lowest total over the last decade or so. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, it's unbelievable. So, you know, are we storing up a, a, a big order boom as, as people take a punt on LNG or are we still going to see that cautious low-level um, 
new building orders as, as finances tighten, and frankly, nobody really wants to make any big bets one way or the other until technology is dominant or at yeah. least available. Now, uh, uh, where we are uh, reviewing and, uh, and adjusting our forecast, we, we are still seeing a, a, a three, four more years of uh, rather um, rather low new ship ordering investments. Mm. And, and uh, uh, this is for the very reason that uh, there is a lack of money, there is uh, high risks involved. Uh, even though financing is available for the ones that really don't need it, uh, the majority of shipping is uh, on the other end of the scale, and that that holds things back. Mm. Uh, and, you know, what to invest for for the next 20 years is, is, is difficult for many one to, 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 to see. So... Um, in all fairness, uh, we, we see that uh, we have, uh, on a global scale, the, uh, an order book to fleet ratio that is on its lowest uh, position uh, two years from now mm. uh, than it has been in 20, 25 years. Which is extraordinary. Yeah. Which, back to where we started, yes, we have seen the demand uh, numbers being revised downwards, and potentially that could be alarming if you're looking at a, a, a sort of a fairly mid to long term reduction in seaboard train growth. But actually, right now, the supply is such that that's perhaps not as bad a problem as it could be. In fact, actually, yeah. these things are pretty much in balance right yeah, now. Yeah, well, I mean, we are in, uh, today, uh, seaborne trade is growing at a pace that is pretty much on par with economic growth. Uh, Which is the first time we can say that in a long time. Yes, exactly. And uh, uh, that is a new norm as we see it. Mm. Uh, and it could even be slower than economic growth as, you know, the composition of trade changes. And we, we, we are not expecting to find a new China on the planet mm. to add to the world economy. But we have to deal with the, with the planet as it is right now. And, and, and that holds the big volume growth uh, step-ups back. Mm. And uh, so there are no huge surprises around the corner, but for some uh, particular commodities that we see. Yeah. Uh, well, LNG has a huge potential to, you know, to make big step up, but uh, geopolitics holds it back uh, for the moment, mm. and, and a few other things, and there is a delay in things. So, yes, we are building up for a a, a boom somewhere down the line in new ship order. Mm. Either that, or a stepwise clawing back. Uh, the the longer we hold back, the the, the bigger the the boom is going to be. Mm. Uh, it's easier to forecast a stepwise clawing back than to ex exactly pinpoint which year is yeah. going to happen. Um, want to make a punt on uh, the, the year of the green shipping boom? The green shipping boom? <laughs> 2032? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, um, you, you cannot make an investment today without being uh, as green as you can financially justify. And uh, with the Poseidon rules t coming into effect, if they are on, a, on the grand scale, that, of course, is going to make sure that we are stepping in the right direction. And uh, I'd like to say that, well, green goes hand in hand with energy efficiency. And we're already there. It's just not the big numbers in the, in the ordering that are there. Well, we will no doubt be coming back to you uh, over the next few weeks as we iron out the numbers and, and, and put together the 2020 outlook um, properly. But uh, for now, Christopher Powson from Lloyd's List Intelligence Consulting, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Thank you, Richard. That's a pleasure to be here.